Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. And if you need a Bible this morning, I see ushers grabbing them. Maybe you left yours at home or in the car. Just wave at one of our ushers and they'll be happy to pass the Bible to you. And you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And um, we do put it on the overhead, but I encourage you to look, look at it in your own copy of God's Word. We put it, and I, over, I say overhead because one of them is not working, but they're working on that. Um, I learn something new every day, and one of the things I learn is that nothing lasts forever, especially projectors. And uh, so anyway, but they're, they're working on, on repairing all of that and appreciate that. Matthew chapter 7, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, believe it or not, well over a year. Uh, I couldn't believe that. Somebody said that, and I said, that's not so. So I went back and looked, and yes, we have. Now, we've had some breaks along the way, and like the last three weeks where Jim has been speaking and, and other things, but uh, we've been here for a while, walking, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and we are now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been, um, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. I have enjoyed it because for me, it's been going back and taking a fresh look at something that was very familiar, but I don't think I really saw it completely the way the Lord wanted me to see it. And so it's been refreshing for me personally, just walking back through it again. Today, um, we get to the end of chapter seven. And if you'll remember the last time that I spoke to you, we were in the verses that I tell, I've shared with this before, they're, they're troubling verses for me, troubling in the sense as a, as a pastor, because Jesus said that there will be many in that day, that, that end day, whenever that comes, there'll be many in that day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty miracles in your name? And Jesus said, I will look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's a startling thing because you think, wait a second, here's someone who believes enough about God to, quote, be prophesying and casting out demons. And matter of fact, that brings up the question, can a lost person cast out demons? I don't know, but some obviously thought they could because Jesus said that's what they said to him. So you have this, I don't know, startling, if you will, almost, proclamation that Jesus makes. And it immediately begs the question, okay, well, how do you know that you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you really have been born again, that you really are a child of the King, that you have been saved? All these different terms that we use, converted, all these different terms that we use how do we know that we're really his because it appears from what jesus said there there are going to be a lot of folks who are going to be surprised they're going to think they're they're good with god and they're not so how do you know that's where we're going to pick up this morning if you look with me at verse 24 in matthew chapter 7 you'll notice that verse 24 begins um it, it begins with this whole idea of kind of carrying on from what Jesus has said right before it. As a matter of fact, in some translations, it actually has therefore. 
Therefore, in other words, it's connected to what Jesus just said. The whole thing is connected. It's a sermon. All the way from the beginning of chapter 5 to this point, it's all been connected. But Jesus is specifically talking about what he has just said. He says, you want to know? You want to know for sure that you're my child, that you're following me? He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's giving you an insight here. He said, if you want to know that you're really my follower, you're going to hear my words and do them. That's not real complicated, is it? But very difficult. As a matter of fact, it is my experience now after 40 some odd years of knowing Jesus. It is my experience that the only way I can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. I can hear his words. I can even determine in my will to try to do them. But it's not possible for me to carry out what he says in my own strength. Just the determination of my will. That's the reason I believe he puts this here because he said, this is what's going to reveal to you whether there has really been transformation within is do you hear my word do you hear the words that i speak and do you do them if you do that you're like a man who built his house on a rock it's firm it's it's secure it has foundation you can count on it it's interesting when you think about that because we live in florida i did think about that when i was reading this Everything here is built on sand, all right? We live in Florida. People talk about bedrock. I'm not sure there's any bedrock. I don't know how deep you go. Find any, I don't think you find any bedrock in Florida. But, but when you look at these major, I, some of my favorite things to do in some of our travels is to go into places where they have built these really amazing monumental structures and to see the story behind um, how they built it. I know Lori and her family are from St. Louis. And um, so a number of times going to the arch, my favorite part of the arch is still to this day going in and seeing the film that they show of them actually building the arch, how they, how they did it. Or when we were out west, the Golden Gate Bridge, seeing how they do it, or in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Bridge. But in every one of these construction processes, the first thing they do is they start digging down. Start digging down. They have to find bedrock. They have to find something stable and secure to build this superstructure on. Jesus says, if you will hear my words and do them, then that is the bedrock of your life. That's the place where you start. And then everything else is built on top of that. But, it, but you have to have that. There's no substitute for it. You have to hear my words and do them. He goes on, the rain fell. He's being very, very truthful in this because whether you build your house on a rock or on the sand, rains are going to come. doesn't matter. You can build either way, but rains are still going to come. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. That's both good things and bad things. It comes. Rains come. Because the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But he goes on and he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
I'm told, I haven't seen it for myself, but I'm told there's an airport in Japan that they built on an, an island that they created, and it's actually sinking. And they're trying to figure out how to go underneath and keep it, because it's, it's sinking, and it's sinking faster. They expected there would be a little settling, but it's sinking way faster than they thought. I don't know, I haven't been over there, but that would be interesting to see. Um, why? Because you build on the sand. And when Jesus... Oh, I'm sorry. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it, and, then, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It wasn't a little bitty fall. It was a big, booming fall. And when Jesus, the next slide, finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. I bet they were. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You know, Jesus, he would go to the temple and read. And people love, matter of fact, I would imagine when Jesus showed up at the temple, they'd give him the scroll to read. Because the word was reading the word. I bet he was a good reader. The word reading the word. When he finishes, he's like, Jesus doesn't talk like anybody else we've ever heard. The scribes and the Pharisees, they... You know, they got a lot of education, a lot of learning. They got a lot of stuff. When Jesus speaks, there's authority. There's strength with this. There's a conviction. There's truth. There's reality. As a matter of fact, that's a good translation. Of when Jesus said he's full of grace and truth, a good translation of that word truth is reality. He's full of, he's full of grace and reality. What's real? Not as their scribes taught. I've been praying about this because there is a million dollar question in this passage, in this text. What are the words of Jesus? Right? If the defining characteristic, if the defining thing in this, in this passage is that we hear the words of Jesus and we do them, then the obvious question is, what are the words of Jesus? What words? What words do we listen to? How do we know they're... Does that mean that we take all the stuff that's in red? If you've got a red letter edition Bible, do we take all the things in red and listen to those and, and do all of those? Well, we could. We could start there. But if you don't have a red letter edition Bible, that might be a problem. And on top of that, we know that all of the Word of God is inspired. It's all His Word, not just what's in red. Okay, so we have the whole Bible. So, okay, we're going to study the Bible and, and do what it says. And, and there's no doubt there's an application of that and truth there. But when Jesus is talking right here, he's talking to a group of people who don't have all of this. Do they? They don't have what you and I have now. They have the Old Testament, or at least what had been compiled at that time. And that's actually what the scribes and Pharisees spent their time studying and going through and, and adding to and all these things and trying to write commentary on and do teaching on. So they were used to that. But Jesus came to them in his very first message and he says, I want you to take the words that I speak to you and do them. But they don't have all that you and I have. So in that moment, in that context, what's he talking about? The words that he just spoke to them. The message that he just preached. He said, take these words. The reason I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is so powerful 
even to this day, and it's so powerful in our lives, is because it's the first time that we see Jesus preaching in public where it's recorded for us. And he's kind of putting together a, a, a completeness of thought. There's a whole lot that he's packed into these two chapters that we look at. And he says, if you'll take what I've taught you, what I've said here, and you'll do it, you're going to discover something. First of all, you're going to discover that you can't do it without supernatural power. That's the reason I'm going to go and die on a cross and be raised again so that you can have supernatural power to be able to, because you're not going to be able to do what I said without it. Secondly, you're also going to discover as you go along that you're going to be in one of two camps. Either you have a desire to do what he says or you don't have a desire to do what he says. Sometimes we get into conversations over whether someone is saved or not. And we look at external things to try to give us evidence and we make conclusions. Is someone saved based on what they do or what they don't do, what they say or what they don't say? And I would tell you that Romans 8 gives one of the clearest pictures of salvation that you're going to see anywhere because the scripture says in Romans 8 that it, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. I believe that's 8.16. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the child of God. Can I give you a Troy translation of that? That when you are born again, when the Spirit of God resides in you, He gives you joy in doing what Jesus said. And there is conviction and heaviness when you don't. If you don't have conviction and heaviness over disobedience to Jesus, that's a problem. That's a big issue. We don't have to, I mean, we can do all kinds of theological mental gymnastics to try to figure out, okay, what does this mean? And, 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 and those questions come up all the time. What about Calvinism versus Arminianism? And what about pre-trib and post-trib and no-trib and odd-trib? And what, what, about, what about, can you lose your salvation? I was talking to someone this week, and they're in Hebrew, and you get to Hebrews chapter 6, and some read that as though you can lose your salvation. And I, this is a rabbit. I'm going to chase a rabbit for just a minute. If you're going to take Hebrews 6 and say that you can lose your salvation, then you can never get it back. Because Hebrews says that once it's lost, it can never be regained. So if you're going to believe that that's what Hebrews, and I don't, by the way, believe that's what Hebrews 6 teaches. But if you believe that, Hebrews 6 also goes on to say once you lose it, you can never get it back. All right? So if we're going to take Scripture, we've got to take it for what it actually says. By the way, I want to give you good news. Your salvation is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. That's why I know I can never lose it. If it was dependent upon me, on my best day, I would lose it. On my best. No, let's not talk about my worst. On my best day, I would lose it. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him. So the words, these, he said, these words that I've been speaking to you, do them. Hear them and do them. I want to make this very practical. I, I, again, I've been praying about this last sermon and, and all, and there's so much in here. 
And I had one thought, like, you know, we could kind of go back and give just an overview of the whole Sermon on the Mount, and that would take us several hours, and we don't want to do that, okay? Or I might want to, but you don't want to do that, all right? And so I was, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want to close this as we, as we, do, as we end this, this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? How do you want to close it? And I had this prompting from the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want you to go back through, and I want you to write in your own words what I said. I want to challenge you with something. This has been a tremendous exercise for me. And I'm still in the process of, of doing it. I've, I've gone through it, and I've rewritten it several times. I keep refining and praying through. But it, Now, again, please don't hear me. I'm not writing my own copy of the Bible, okay? I'm not writing my own version or translation. I'm simply going through and I'm writing down what the Holy Spirit prompts me and how he speaks to me through everything that Jesus said. And as I did that, there was something very, very powerful as I began to say, okay, now Lord, you're saying this and this, now how do you want me to apply that right now in my life where I am in the situations that I have? And I begin to realize as I'm going through this process, this is the Spirit of God leading me. He's taking and confirming what Jesus said, and then he's giving application to what Jesus said to my situation, to my life right now. I would challenge you to go back to the Sermon on the Mount, just sit down with a pen and paper, or you can do it on a computer, however you want to do it. I, I did it with pen and paper, but you can do it any way you want to. And just write down what Jesus said in your own words. Now, what I'm going to do for you, because to give you an idea, because I want this to be very practical, I'm going to read to you what I wrote down, all right? And some of you are going to say before, I, you know, when it's all over, you're going to come say, can I have a copy of that? Can I have that? I'm one step ahead of you. We made copies, and they're at Guest Central. So when you leave this morning, if you want one, you can have them, all right? But again, don't take mine. Let the Holy Spirit give you yours, because it'll be better than mine at least for you. Mine doesn't work for you. I mean, there may be some overlap and application, but the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. That is my desire as your pastor, not that you would come listen to me, but that you would hear God, and in the process of hearing God, you'd long to hear him more every day of your life. Because he wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to love on you. He wants, to con he wants to, by his spirit, convict you, and at the same time, it feels loving as he convicts. It was like when I was a kid, my dad used to say, I'm beating you because I love you. <laughs> I did not feel loved, all right? I'm sorry to say I did not feel loved. You know, maybe he said it to make himself feel better. I did not feel the love, all right? I understand now he really did love me. He was trying to help me in ways. But I can tell you that when Jesus comes along and does this, he really does correct and you still feel loved. Because he's, he's able to do that. So I went back and started in chapter 5 and just in trying in little short phrases, what did Jesus say? He began by saying, be constantly emptied of yourself. That's what we call humility. That's in verse 3 of chapter 5. Be poor in spirit. Constantly be emptied of yourself. It's not about you. Rick Warren said it that way in Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. I think that's one of the reasons God has used that book so much around the world. 
is because it grabs a hold of that concept. It, because all of life, all, especially American life, is about us. About us. Be emptied. Constantly be emptied of yourself. Let your heart break over sin, yours and others. Let your heart break over it. We don't cry enough over sin. At least I don't. I can't speak for you. I don't cry enough over sin. I don't see, especially in others. I might cry sometimes over my own. But when I see others, I get a little haughty. We were, we were out as a family. I don't forget what day it was. It was over the weekend sometime. And we all went somewhere. And we came out and um, we were going to get some, something to eat. After. I don't know what it was. We had to stop by Lowe's and, and nobody really wanted to go to Lowe's, but I needed to. And then we were going to stop and get something to eat. And so we're going to do Lowe's first and then go to eat. And we came out and, and we're, there was maybe, maybe some not great attitudes among a couple of the kids. Um, could have, it could have been, I don't, not for sure, but could have been not so great attitudes. And, um, and then one of the other kids spoke up and said, because I mentioned something, hey, the attitudes aren't really great here. And then the other child, who didn't seem to have a bad attitude at the moment, said, um, well, then they don't get to eat today. <laughs> I said, okay, well, if we go with that theory, let's apply that to you and your life and the times that you've had a bad attitude and been grumpy and I didn't feed you. What do you think that looks like? And there was a big grin. I said, yeah, you didn't make it, did you? You died. And you died in childhood. So. Aren't you glad, though, that God has the ability by his spirit, he can break our heart over sin, not just ours, but others, so that we're not judgmental and critical. Our hearts are broken over it. Sin is a monster of such awful mean to be hated needs but to be seen, but seen too oft, familiar face. We first endure, then pity, then embrace. Our hearts need to be broken over sin. Don't fight for your rights. Surrender them. I know this is un-American, but it's pro-Jesus, okay? Don't fight for your rights. Surrender them. Long for Jesus like you do for food and drink. How many of you like to eat? Anybody here like to eat? I mean, people who say, you know, just food is not good, they just haven't eaten the right food. I'm telling you, there's some good that is, there's food that's really good. I like to eat. We long for it. We have, we have a basic need for it. And we also have appetites that are beyond that basic need, but we have a basic need for it and a hunger that comes. But Jesus said, I want you to hunger for me like you do food and drink. I want you to desire me that way. Show mercy the same way Jesus shows it to you. Live with an undivided heart, a set of priorities that always has Jesus at the top. That's really what an undivided heart is. It's a set of priorities that always has Jesus at the top. Or you could say it differently, always has Jesus at the center and everything else revolves around him. Wherever you are, be an instrument of peace. Wherever you are, be an instrument. Be a peacemaker, wherever you are. Do you have that reputation that you're a peacemaker? Expect and embrace persecution for Jesus' sake, but not for your own sake. Most of us get persecuted for our own sake, not for his. 
But he said, expect and embrace the fact that you're going to be persecuted for my sake. Today and every day, the goal is Jesus. His light shining through me into a dark world so that he's glorified. Let your light so shine before men. Let me see your Father. Let me see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Live a life of resolved anger. Live a life of resolved anger. Anybody get angry this week? Go ahead, put it up there. Anybody get angry this week? All right. It's okay. So did I. As a matter of fact, right before we left, by the way, thank you for allowing us some time away. And, but right before we left, Lori looked at me and said, you need some time away. And... Uh, <laughs> She always is my judge in that because she said, you've gotten ornery, angry, and mean. All right? You need some time away. You need a break. And she was right. It is, it's amazing what God does when you have kind of a different perspective when you pull back. We get angry. Now, there's scripture talks about anger and sin not, but I can't, I don't think most of mine is righteous anger. All right? Most of the, there are a few times in my life where I probably had righteous anger. Most of them just angry, usually because my own rights are getting stepped on and my own way is being violated. But live a life of resolved anger. Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. By the way, there's another little key to that, or give place to the devil. It seems to indicate that if you and I don't resolve anger, we give Satan a place in our life. Uh, now, don't take that for too much. It just simply means we give him more power than he should have in our life. Live a life of resolved anger. Get it resolved. Let go let go of the rights, humble yourself, resolve anger. As much as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes you can't be at peace no matter how hard you try. But as much as it lies with you, live at peace with all men. Do you begin to understand when you take and try to live by Jesus' words, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do this. Lust is an issue of the heart with bodily consequences. Give Jesus your heart. I'll say that again. Lust is an issue of the heart with bodily consequences. Give Jesus your heart. See, we keep trying to fight the lust. We keep trying to deal with it from the outside in. Jesus says, give me your heart, and I'll deal with it from the inside out. Take your marriage vows seriously and resist divorce as though your life depended on it. Now, I'm going to stop here because there are any number of you who've had the heartache of divorce and what I just read is not a condemnation of, the, of you and what you've gone through, okay? Neither does Jesus condemn you. But he does say in this passage as we went through it that his heart is for marriage and that he hates divorce, not divorcees, but divorce. Why? Because divorce destroys lives. And as I've watched families who've walked through it, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. It just keeps on and on. And so here is, here's the, the admonition. Take your marriage vow seriously. I joke with Lori sometimes because I've asked her, I said, would you ever think about leaving me? She said, no, I made a vow. I think, you don't love me, you just made a vow, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I think she does love me. Um, but, she also, but, but she also made a vow, and she took it seriously. 
That's the reason. My first appointment usually with a couple when they say they want to get married is see if I can talk them out of it. Because you're making a vow. It's very, very serious. It's a vow to each other before God and witnesses. And scripture says better not to make a vow than make it and not keep it. Now, again, some of you have gone through the heartache of divorce and you could not stop it. I understand that. And this is not critical or condemning. I hope you know my heart in that. But I, most of those people that I talk to who've gone through the heartache of divorce, when they're talking to others, they're honest about, hey, do everything you can to save your marriage. Do everything you can. Jesus, that's his words. Take your marriage vows seriously and resist divorce as though your life depended on it. Have integrity in your words. Don't lie, manipulate, or tell half-truths. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Learn to take a, quote, punch without retaliation. I didn't say it, folks. Don't get mad at me. Don't come <laughs> punch me, all right? I didn't say it. Jesus did. Learn to take a punch without retaliation. In relationships, especially those that are hard, go beyond what is required. This is what we call the second mile. Jesus said, in relationships, especially the hard ones, go beyond what is required. Love the people who are easiest to hate. Love the ones who are easiest to hate. Give to those in need. Pray. Pray for kingdom purpose, earthly provision, forgiveness of Jesus flowing through you, and spiritual discernment. Pray for kingdom purpose, earthly provision, the forgiveness of Jesus flowing through you, and spiritual discernment. That's, if you want to boil it down, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Fast at the Father's direction for His purpose. Which means we have to be willing to fast. We've already established we like food. Now are we willing to surrender it when the Father says so? Trade in what doesn't last for that which never goes away. Most of us are grabbing on to that which will be gone very, very soon. Jesus said, I want you to trade all that in. Exchange it for that which never goes away. That which is eternal. If you took a column and put eternal at the top of one side and two columns, eternal on one side, temporal or temporary on the other, and you listed everything in your life, you would have a whole bunch. You'd have pages and pages in the temporary. You'd have very few in the eternal. Jesus says, I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be looking at that. I want you to let me, by my spirit, point that out to you on a regular basis. What's temporary and what's eternal. And then I want you to trade in what's temporary for that which never goes away. All right. I, I didn't say this next one either, so don't, don't shoot the messenger, okay? Don't worry ever about anything. 
I wish it was that easy. Don't worry ever about anything. But that's what Jesus said. And Paul reiterates it by the Holy Spirit in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. No thing. Nothing. There is not a biblical grounds for worry. There's not. There's not a biblical grounds for it. Now, we do it, but there's no biblical grounds for it. Matter of fact, the Scripture teaches the exact opposite. But here, I love the next one, because Jesus doesn't just leave you hanging out there with don't. He gives you a do. All right? He doesn't just say, stop this. He says, start this. And you'll find that as you start this, it will help. It'll deal with the other. So what, is, what does he do next? Turn worry into a catalyst for kingdom pursuit. So something comes along, you want to worry about it? It becomes my catalyst. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to take that to Jesus. I'm going to see what, I'm going to, God, give me new eyes to see that. I'm worried about this. I'm going to stand against the enemy. I'm going to rebuke him because he's the one who causes fear. He's the one who wants me to worry. So I'm going to stand against. The worry comes like, Lord, I'm going to pray and believe this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate your power and to receive glory in and through my life. And I'm going to pray to that end. I'm going to, work, I'm going to align myself with that, with that truth. So worry then becomes this catalyst for kingdom pursuit instead of a death spiral that just takes us deeper and deeper. Stop being critical and condemning. Deal with your own junk. That's a direct quote, by the way. Jesus said that, deal with your own junk. No, I'm, he said it to me. Stop being critical and condemning. Deal with your own junk. I am an expert at your junk. I like to avoid mine. Jesus said, I want you to reverse that. I want you to quit being, don't be an expert in everybody else's junk, but deal with your own. Be discerning, gentle, and caring as you help others with what God has used to help you. Be discerning, gentle, and caring as you help others with what God has used to help you. It's all in how we approach someone. I'm not going to fix you. I'm not here to give you the truth that you are so desperately in need of. I'm not here to enlighten you. I'm here because I know the pain, I know the hurt, I know the, I know the mess up, I know the consequences, I know all that in my own life. And here's some things that God's used, and if you'll allow me the privilege, I'd love to walk alongside you. I'd love to share with you what Jesus has done in me and for me, and see if he wants to use any of it in your life. That's a whole different approach. And by the way, most of us are much more open to that approach than the first one. Pay the cost of going the opposite direction of the crowd. There is a there's a cost to be paid to go the opposite direction of the crowd. Jesus says, I want you to be willing to pay the cost going the opposite direction. You say, where, where did you get that? That's in Matthew 7. You think, Matthew 7, we're almost done. Yeah, we are. Matthew 7, he says there's two ways. There's a broad and narrow way. He said a lot of folks are going in the broad one. Few find the narrow one. In other words, what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, Troy, there's a cost to be paid to go the narrow way. There's a cost. Be willing to pay the cost to go the narrow way. To go against the crowd. Because everybody's going this way. If you go the opposite direction, there's a cost. Do that. 
The neat thing about that is Jesus paid the cost so that I could enter that way. Now I'm just simply walking in the power of the cost that he paid. I'm joining along. So whatever suffering I receive, it's minimal compared to the suffering that he endured. Expect that walking the narrow road will produce good fruit. See, we often expect the other thing, walking the narrow road, it's going to be hard and terrible, and everybody's going to, you know, nobody's going to understand, it's going to be lonely and difficult, but we're going to grit our teeth and get through it, and it'll be better on the other side. No, Jesus said walking the narrow road produces fruit now. Expect that it's going to produce fruit. And then the last one. It doesn't matter what you say or I say. Everyone's profession will be tested by God. It doesn't matter what you say or I say. Ultimately, God will test every profession. He knows. He knows. I went through that with you because I want you to first of all see it's nothing special. It's just what God was speaking to me. And then as I went through it, he gave me some specific applications on many of these. Right now, Troy, I want you to apply this this way. With this person, with this situation, I want you to apply it. Lord, I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't, can I share something with you? To tell Jesus that I can't is to speak a lie. Because why? Because the scripture says that I can do all things through Christ who's at work within me. Not that I'm doing them, but the power of Christ at work within me can, can, can produce in me everything that Jesus calls me to. Everything. So when you and I say I can't, we're not speaking truth. Now, if we say I don't know how, that's true. That's a true statement. We say, I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. All right? That's a true statement. That's fine. The Lord will work in that. You could also say, Jesus, I don't want to. That's also a true statement. And Jesus will work in that too. But don't say, I can't. Because if you're a believer, if you're born again and the Spirit of God is in you, you can. You can. You can. Look at the person next to you and say, you can. You can. Do you believe it? Say, not yet, but maybe if I say it a few more times. No, <laughs> the fact is you can. I can do everything that Jesus calls me to by the power of Christ at work in me. I can. You can forgive that person who's hurt you so deeply that you say, I can't ever forgive. You can. You can trust again. You can. You can overcome that sin that always causes you to stumble. You can. You can exchange temporary things for eternal things. You can. You can. Fill in the blank. You can. You can. If God's calling you to it, His power at work in you can and will do it. Will. Jesus says, receive my words, hear them, and then do them. And often the first step of doing them is to believe that they can be done. You can. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, not with your own will, by his strength.
His power, His will. You can. If I had anything else to say about this whole sermon, it would be simply this, that Jesus shows us a way of living that is impossible to live apart from him, but because of him, it should be the normal way that we live. It can be the normal way that we live. And he was laying it out for us. He said, I got a, I got a different kingdom and a different way, and it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. For all of you. I have it for you. Now, you may be sitting there saying, Troy, I hear you, but I don't want to. Okay, that's a true statement. So take it to Jesus. I don't want, I've told him a lot of times I don't want to. Here's the thing. If his spirit is in you, he will work on that. If he's not in you, well, then you know you're not his, and so there's a different place to begin. All right? But if his spirit's there, he'll work on that. He'll change your want to. I was telling someone recently, Corey, I want you to come play. Um, I was telling someone recently that I know, there are a number of ways I know that I am a child of God, even though I have doubts at times. I have, and I've shared this before too, I think with you all, sometimes in the, in the middle of the night, or maybe even first thing you wake up, and this thought will run across your mind, or at least mine, are you deceived? Is all of this just a lie? Are you doing all this for nothing? Are you even saved? Do you even know God? Is God even real? Anybody else ever have those thoughts? Now, we know where they come from. They come from the enemy, but they seem, they seem like they're mine. They seem very real, and they seem like I'm thinking them. And then you begin to resist. I resist, and no, that's not true, and the Spirit of God begins to move and speak truth immediately to confirm. And one of the ways that the, that the Holy Spirit has confirmed to me through the years that I'm His is He doesn't let me get away with anything. Have you ever had that experience? He just doesn't let me get away with anything. I have tried, believe me. I never saw a rule I didn't want to break. I mean, I'm that way by nature. I never saw one I didn't want to break. Some of you are rule keepers, but I'm not. I have broken a lot of rules. And every one of them, since, since being born again, every one of them, the Spirit of God has come immediately. And he's dealt with him against. You know where Scripture says there's pleasure in sin for a season? It's a short season, at least in my life. Because you enjoy it for the moment, and then all of a sudden, there's no pleasure anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's real. Because he comes and he deals with that. I pray that's your experience. I really do. Because it gives me great confidence to know I'm his child. I've been born again. The Spirit of God resides in me, and he doesn't let me get away with that. And if he's doing that with you, you'll know he doesn't let you get away with it either. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. If you don't have that, it may mean you don't know him. And if you don't know him, he's crying out to you today. He's calling. Say, I died for you. 
I made a way for you. I paid a price for you. I love you. I want you. That's his call to you today. In a moment when we dismiss, we'll have prayer partners here at the front. If you don't know him, and the Spirit of God's drawing you, would you walk to one of those prayer partners and say, I don't think I know him. They'll pray with you. They'll walk you through the process. And maybe there's something else going on. You'll say, I know him, but he's telling me to do stuff, and I don't want to do it. Okay, let us pray with you about that. Or he's telling you, and you're saying, I can't do that. Let us pray with you about that, because we've already established that's a lie. We'll pray with you about that. Or you may say, I know he's speaking, but I don't know how to do what he's asking. That's legitimate. That's true. Say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Let us pray with you about that. Folks, this kingdom living is more exciting. It's more amazing than you and I have ever imagined. But Jesus says it begins by you hearing my words and doing them. You got to hear them and you got to do them. I want you to stand with me. I want to pray for you this morning as a group, if I can, if you'll allow me. And nobody's looking around. I'm, I'm going to look around, but we're, we're just focusing on the Lord right now. But if, and I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come too while I do this, but um, if this morning the Spirit's speaking to you, that, that you're being drawn or something's stirring in you and you think, I'm not sure that I actually know Jesus, that I'm his child, that I've been saved or born again, or whatever term you want to put on it. I'm not sure that I have that in me that convicts me when I do my own thing and do it my own way. I wouldn't embarrass you for the world. Nobody's going to come to you, but I would love to pray for you. If you're not certain this morning that you know Jesus, would you give me the privilege of praying for you? Would you just wave at me real quick? If you're not sure, would you just wave at me? All right? Okay. Now I want to ask you another question. If you know Jesus this morning, and he's speaking things to you, and you're saying, I don't know how to do that. I hear you. I just, I don't know how to do that. Would you wave at me? Okay? I see that. All right? Now, if you're here this morning, and you'd say, I don't want to do it. I hear him. I don't want to do that. Maybe you've got both. Maybe you got, I don't know how and I don't want to. But if you say, I don't, I don't want to, would you wave at me? Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus. I, I thank you for those who just honest with you. Lord, to say, I don't know how or I don't want to. We can all identify with that. I can. And I pray this morning that you'd move by your spirit. I pray that you would, even right now, that you would speak and give wisdom to the I don't know how. That you give wisdom. And maybe, Lord, you've given some wisdom this morning. Maybe you've spoken and given 
a thought, an idea. And then our will rises up and we say, I don't want to do that. I don't think that'll work. I don't think that's a good idea. I'm not even sure that's God. Lord, I pray for those individuals this morning. I pray against the enemy in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ and every principality and power of hell, every lying spirit. And Lord, I pray that you'd move by your spirit, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you would move and you would empower. There would be a surrender to you and you would empower and cause that which seems so wrong, Lord, to be recognized to be as right as it really is. God, I pray that you'd supernaturally empower by your spirit. You'd pour out your grace right now on each one to hear your words and to do what you say. In every relationship, in every situation, do that in me, Lord. Every relationship, every situation. We surrender to you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And we praise you. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you, Jesus, would receive all the glory. Amen. Amen. It is good to be back with you. Um, I thought about that this morning as we were worshiping together. I love to worship with you all. I love to be with you. It is great to be here. I pray that the Lord has ministered to you through the Sermon on the Mount the way he has me. If you need to pray with anyone before you leave this morning, there are prayer partners here. And then, Lord willing, next week in the month of March, we're going to look at the things that Jesus said while he was on the cross and how they impact you and me today. All right, so God bless you.